After 60 years of films, it can be hard to remember that the character of James Bond once lived only in the pages of pulp novels. Ian Fleming's Bond had some of the trappings of the film persona, but was more flawed, more thoughtful, slightly more realistic, and 100% more likely to fight a giant squid hand-to-hand. -hand. Dr. No wasn't the first Bond novel, but it was the first to be turned into a movie, and the first to feature his classic gun. We wanted to know what the original Bond was like, so we dusted off some old paperbacks and made gin and tonics to fight off malaria and remind ourselves of the glorious days when the sun didn't set on the British Empire. Join us for episode 81 of Toasting the Classics, Dr. No by Ian Fleming. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take something that people call a classic and we talk about it while we drink something inspired by the classic. Then we're going to decide whether it still should be a classic. My name is Dave MacArthur. And my name is Clint Lanier. And, uh, you know, before we start, folks, uh, let's just say that Dave actually has a really high squeaky voice. It's amazing how he can turn on that uh, announcer's voice right. just at the drop of a hat. <laughs> I, know. I know. You get yeah. these dulcet it's tones amazing. on here. It's amazing. It's amazing. This uh, episode, we are doing my pick. It's a book. And uh, we are doing the Ian Fleming classic, purported classic. Alleged classic, right? Doctor No, published in 1957, 1958. Let's see. I think it was 19. I think, it was. I think it was a little earlier. 1958, according to this publication history, okay. uh, released 31st of March, 1958 in the UK. Uh, sold approximately 115,000 copies. Mm -hmm. Then it was uh, American edition was published in June of that same year. Now, and should we point out that we're doing something a little different on on a Toasting Classics this time? Should we point out? Uh, what we're up to, or are we just going to surprise I think, everybody? I, I think just surprise everybody. So yeah. released, uh, it was, like I said, 115,000 copies. Uh, so, you know, modest success. I wish I had sold hundred sold 115,000 yeah. copies my first yeah, year, right? any of my books. Um, and this is the sixth book in the series. So these books have been coming out since the early 50s. And I think right. it's pretty yeah. much one every year. Right. And um, That's correct. One of my favorite things about reading the book versus watching a James Bond film mm -hmm. is that the book is more sequential. There's stuff yeah. going on at the beginning of the book that is from the end of the last book. And honestly, if the James Bond films did that, I'd be a much bigger James Bond film. The, yeah. the serial nature of the movies, how they're just over and then there's a completely up next one and there's hardly right. any reference to it is the one yeah. thing that doesn't grab me about the series. Yeah, this is, you know, the, the books are a lot like the uh, Simpsons universe in that uh, there is really no time scale. Oh, I'm sorry, the movies are a lot like the Simpsons universe in that there's really no time scale. You don't know what happened first. You don't know what happened last time. The books certainly do. I mean, the book, this book starts off, as he says, the sixth in the series. The reason I chose the sixth book in the series instead of the first was the first book, Casino Royale, written in the early 1950s, I think 52 or 53. Uh -huh. Never was never really successful. It had three print runs, but it was very, very moderate. Never really made it out of the UK. I mean, they didn't even make a movie uh, about that film until Daniel Craig's character. You know, until and that Daniel was, Craig, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was many, many years later, and it didn't follow the book very much at all. So I, I chose this book because this is the first book they made a movie out of. It's you're right. It's not. It's it's not in sequential order according to the movies. You were saying that the movies are like Simpsons episodes, but they're like Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes. They're even worse. It's like <laughs> nothing that happened in the last film has right. anything it could reset and every yeah, you know. never makes it into it, right? True. Yeah. At least at least Ned Flanders stays dead. 
And so what we should, really should do is we should concentrate on the book because it's not fair. Yes. I mean, we're looking at the book and we can talk about the books. And I want to talk, I really want to get into Ian Fleming's life. I'd like to get into the books themselves. And obviously we're going to talk about differences. Let's, you know, we can focus more on this particular book. You're right. It is sequential. I, I'd only read, read another one of the books and I'm sorry, I, I can't for the life of me remember what it's called. Oh, I was going to ask about that if you'd ever read any of these. So yeah. I had, my stepdad had like a, full collection of James Bond novels and right. I saved them. I put them aside when I was in high school and I was like, Oh, I should read these someday. Never read them. Ended up donating them when my parents passed away. I never, never <laughs> oh, got that's around. A shame. I literally that's a shame. just got rid of those books a year before we did this show. Oh man. What a pity. So I, I had to buy the book um, to, in order to read it this time. Well, uh, we're, we're going to come back to why you should have kept those in just a minute. Okay. okay? And right. why I'm going to go out soon as I can, I'm a used bookstore to see if I can find any of these used. Okay. But my dad was the same way. My, you know, I, I would spend summers at my grandma's house and my dad's old library was in there. My dad was very much a nerd like me. And he had the full collection from the six, okay. or, excuse me, the fifties, uh, first print run. So he was like in high school when they middle school and high school and when they came out. Yeah. And I think my dad was too. I think the only one I read was, and I can't remember which one it was. It's the one where uh, he has to go to Japan, so he's undercover in Japan. Well, you were telling me about the whole thing where that's where we got the idea of drinking sake warm. Yes, yes. You only live twice was that one. You only that's the that, that's the book I read, and okay. at the end of that book, he ends up getting the crap kicked out of him. And uh, and at the beginning of this book, they're referencing where he just got out of the hospital after being there for for a month or something like that. Yeah, he almost um, died at the end of From Russia with Love, apparently, in the, yeah, in the book. Right. I don't remember the girl being a big threat in the film From Russia with Love. It was, uh, it's Quint is yes. the bad guy in From Russia with Love. Right. And the, the girl runs off and falls in love with him. Nice. I'll tell you what, both, before, both, before of us, we... both of us happily married, by the way. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I am no James Bond. I'm more, I can think of myself more as you're, I am a professor. professor. You're probably more of an Indiana Jones, right? Oh, yeah, there you go. Indiana Jones, professor of rhetoric. Let's make a drink. So okay, uh, the drink that, that we are going to make, uh, it's in the book. Well, I won't say it surprised me. Maybe it's my biggest surprise. It's notably, it's notably not his famous drink. From it's notably not. He goes to Jamaica, has his first drink in the book. He orders a double gin and tonic uh, and one whole green lime. Sorry, huh? but can we talk about he's a secret agent. Expecting yes. to be in combat, needing his wits about him, and he yes. drinks like a fish through this whole book. This is the 1950s. What? After I all. don't understand. So. Did anybody ever think that perhaps their secret agents would perform at a higher level if they weren't drunk all the time? That doesn't seem <laughs> doesn't oh, seem yeah. like maybe that's why sacrilege, the British Empire yeah. fell. I told you that before. Sacrilege. Well, like any good limey, uh, I'm going to dump a whole lime, squeeze out a whole lime into my my cup. Okay. That's what what he does. proportions do you recommend I use for tonic and? It's three parts tonic water and anywhere from one to three parts gin. I mean, you can you can add one ounce tonic and one ounce gin, or three ounces tonic and one ounce gin. So let me let me tell you the history of gin and tonic. If you don't, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's kind of an interesting history. I know um, a little bit about the the whole quinine situation. Yeah, that's that's what it was. So the British Empire colonizes India. It just has a healthful smell. It does, drink. doesn't it? I think it's the tonic. I think tonic just, I know it's not making me any healthier by drinking this drink, but it feels like it is in some way. <laughs> so the Brits go to, to India. They're stationed there. And we're talking the 
late 19th century. And uh, they're issued as an anti-malarial medicine. They're issued quinine, which is a very bitter-tasting drug. Well, to make it more palatable, they mix that quinine with sugar water. And then they mix both of those with gin, which is their, their drink of choice in the kingdom. When they come home, they have this taste for this drink called a gin and tonic. And that's how the gin and tonic was born. Anti-malarial medicine or anti-COVID medicine. Or, yeah, I guess. Kind of a million dollar question here. Does it? I I seem to recall Tonic saying when I was a kid that it still contains quinine. Is that not yes. the case anymore? Well, mine does. Mine says yeah. contains quinine. That's yeah. what makes that's what makes Tonic a tonic is the quinine. It's a it's has that weird kind of funky taste to it. Oh, okay. Beautiful, delicious drink. It is a good drink, though. It is a good solid drink. It's a very British drink, which is why you know it makes sense that he would drink that. It's probably it's, really it's probably what Ian Fleming drank. Well, it's very British Empire, if you yes. know what I mean. It's like British yes. Raj. Like, it's not what you would drink in Britain. I mean, may, I'm sure they do to some extent drink them in Britain, but it's because they brought it home from Empire. Because this is something that I would want to drink in the tropics. Yes. Or, yes. or as the case may be, on a July day in New York City where it's 95 degrees and, and <laughs> So, How about 105 degrees in southern New Mexico? Because that's where I'm at. I, that's hot. I'm not yes. going to say that a dry heat is not still hot, but I think it's less pleasant here. Yeah. I, I think when with, it's in the with, 90s in New York, I think with, it's with worse. humidity. And as I have said many, many times, it will go down to about 92 when the sun goes down. Whereas in New Mexico, the temperature will drop 30 degrees at night. And that's really nice. Mm. Oh, even better. Okay. So we have our drink. So let's talk. Let's talk about this Dr. No let's book. Let's talk, this talk Fleming, about this, this Dr. No. This Fleming Cat uh, Road. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Ian Fleming. He was an interesting dude. Well, do we want to talk about the book itself before we get into it? Well, okay, sure. Go go for it. I know the story so intimately. Why don't Let's summarize the story. Why don't you summarize the story since this is the first time you've read it? It's the first time I've read it. I've never even seen the film. So the first thing okay. I did was, was read this book. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a story and it's really was nothing like I expected it to be. It's both a worse book and a much better book than I expected. <laughs> I expected Tom Clancy level of oh, writing, right. which is technical and competent, yes. but this is both idiotic. There's some idiotic <laughs> things that happen in this book, yeah, but yeah, also yeah. like clearly inspired by his travels in Jamaica. And it's yes. almost like a travel log. And there's a yes. lot of, there's a lot about the natural, the nature, the wildlife of Jamaica and the mm -hmm, geography mm -hmm. of Jamaica. Right. I thought that stuff was great. I, yeah. I would read that. Like I would read books like that. If every one of his books was a spy novel that took place in some country, but also functions as a travel narrative of that country, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd be down. I have no idea what the other books are like. I've still never read any of them, but that was really cool. I enjoyed that. So it's the story of two British operatives who get murdered in Jamaica because this is during the days of the British Empire. Actually, fittingly, I believe the year this book came out might be the year of Jamaican independence. It's, I believe it's so. right on the edge. And yeah. he talks about, he mentions it like an impending storm or, or crisis. You know, he talks about how they're in, they're in this beautiful colonial building. Oh, and it's going to be torn apart when the Jamaicans get independence. And it's like, okay, right. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure they're going to be okay running their own country, but that's, that's fine. So it's, it's, Right on the cusp of the end of the empire in a lot of places. And that's really, I think, I thought uh, palpable throughout the book, mm -hmm. that sort of mm -hmm. sense of the empire. He's been injured. And so he gets sent on what's supposed to be a cushy job to check out the disappearance of these two MI6 operatives. And he goes down to Jamaica 
gets mixed up in what would become, I think, sort of the typical James Bond plot, the the almost like Austin Powers parody of a James mm-hmm. Bond plot, which right. is a creepy, handicapped foreign villain living mm-hmm. in a lair who unnecessarily complicates the murder of James Bond, <laughs> right. um, allowing James Bond to escape and thus thwart him. Spoiler alert, James Bond does survive and thwart Dr. No at the end yes. of this story. So that's the basics. I thought it was a pretty good story. One of the things that I've noticed, like we've read a lot of books for this show. And I remember when we read Stephen King, mm-hmm. I remember picking it up and I've, I've heard a lot of complaints about Stephen King's writing over the years. But I picked up that book and I read it and I was done with it. And it was just a breeze to read it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Carrie's one of his better books, but any Stephen King novel is a is a is a is a pretty good yarn, pretty mm-hmm. good page turner. You're not bored, even if it's right. not a good Stephen King book. And I right. thought this was like that. I, I read this one through. I didn't pause. I, I was enjoying mm-hmm. reading the book. There's tons of problematic stuff going on that we should probably talk about in this mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. And we'll t- I guess we'll talk about that when we talk about toasting it because it's going to come into whether I would recommend it to somebody. I think mm-hmm. it, it, you know, clearly pretty dated. So you said you had not read this book before. Correct. But you're familiar with the story because you know the film. Right. So I don't know how much we want to get into the differences with the film, but yeah. it's it's pretty faithful. There's there's tw- there's changes. There's some things we could talk about there, for changes, yeah. but overall if you know the movie, you're reading almost like a novelization. I've read right. novelizations when I was a kid, I used to love reading novelizations of movies mm-hmm. because I just had no taste, I guess. I don't know why I did that, but <laughs> you would you would notice they would change things. There'd be scenes. For instance, one of my favorites, and this is totally crazy, one of my favorite novelizations was the novelization of Goonies, mm-hmm. which I read like 10 times when I was a kid. And right. there's a whole sequence where they fight an octopus, which is which is uh, fitting. I remember that. I remember that. I, I think got, I, I read that too. from the film. Yeah. It got cut from the film and there were whole sequences in the book that weren't in the film. And this would be comparable. This is this is yeah. about like that, the level of difference between a novelization of a film and a film. Yeah. Um, so there's not terribly much that's different. The basics of the plot are completely faithful. Yeah. I mean, you 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 forgot that along the way he meets the beautiful damsel in distress and rescues her. Right. And I don't want to compare it to the film, Dr. No, but we can compare it generally to the films because that's that's a lot easier, I think. There is a difference between a James Bond book, uh, the, the James Bond character in a book, and a James Bond character in a movie. And the difference to me is uh, the James Bond character in a book is very fallible. Yes. He seems to be yep. much more sensitive. Uh, yep. He seems to have self-doubt. He makes mistakes, right? Um, which I guess is fallible. Uh, he gets injured. He's mortal, right? He's human. James Bond in the movie is a superhero. Okay. He can't die. He always gets out of trouble. He he always has the last word. He never takes advice. He he doesn't need advice. He he has no self-doubt. He always makes the right decision. And you know So there's a couple of there's a couple of things I wanted to say about that. One of my favorite things about the book versus reading versus watching one of the movies is that he's fallible. I am not super interested in watching a guy go through an adventure that just is always right right there's a place for that there's Mm -hmm. a place like sean connery's james bond and i think especially roger moore's james bond Mm -hmm. it's just this paragon of like always being right and just you know like a kind of what's what am i looking for i don't know if toxic masculinity is the right word for it but something Mm -hmm. that can definitely spill over into toxic masculinity like never asking Never asking for directions kind of mentality. Right. Yes, James yes. Bond does not pull over the car and ask for directions. Right. And Sean Connery's James Bond doesn't either, but I think Roger Moore takes it to a to a 
I'm more extreme in that sense. Sure. Daniel Craig's Bond is a better Bond. He's a much yes. more interesting character because he gets hurt because he screws mm -hmm. up. You know, he, he he there's a little continuity between the films in terms of his changes in character. He's way more interesting to me as a character. I love right. Sean Connery. Sean Connery is awesome. I like watching him on the screen. Mm -hmm. But Daniel Craig's character is much more interesting to me. Correct. And I think that this Bond, this Bond from the book. So I've always thought that Indiana Jones is inspired by Bond in a lot of ways. You get the mm -hmm. cold open. You get the guy who travels around the world getting in adventures. He mm -hmm. gets the girl everywhere he goes. I think Indiana Jones is more inspired by the book version. He's smarter. He's more fallible. Mm -hmm. He gets hurt. I think yes. he's just, and I, I think that's why that character always appealed to me a little bit more mm -hmm. than Roger Moore's Bond, which is what was going right. on when I was growing up. Sure. I discovered Sean Connery a little bit later, but mm -hmm. anyway, I, I thought I thought this Bond was way more fun to read about. I thought this yeah. guy was really right. cool. Um, yeah, and he's supposed to be, and and he's much more of a, much more of a detective, than than a, a superhero in the movies. Yeah. I mean, in the movies, you know, Ian Fleming never introduced all of those like gadgets and. You know, exploding this, and you know, you have a watch that can shoot laser no, beams and stuff like that. Stuff. He had he had normal spycraft type of stuff, as they would call it, uh, things like a you know a hidden knife, perhaps. Or there's some fascination with gear and with technology. It just happens to be really, really outdated technology, like mm -hmm. satellite, like the first satellites. If you're reading right. a book in 1958 and it was about satellites and rockets, I mean, that's cutting. That's like us reading about AI. It's like right. we just in 1958, it's the year after Sputnik. You just heard about satellites for the right. first time. Well, that's that's a good point. That's so, a good point. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good exciting point. stuff. I would. Uh, I like I like what you said about the writing style. It, uh -huh. it was it's very. I mean, this is what we would sort of call pulp fiction. I mean, this was you know a dime store novel type of thing. Although they made it in hardcover, but it's not literature. And and Ian Fleming himself knew that he wasn't writing li literature. Well, let's talk about him for a minute. So Ian Fleming is okay. a very well healed person as a, as a person meaning he came from uh from very like immense wealth in england yeah from a very not, a, not 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 like landed gentry but yeah definitely definitely a wealthy person like when you own a bank yeah when your family owns a bank and and an investment company um you know with your last name on it then each with their last name on it you know that you're doing pretty well uh so yeah. his his grandfather i believe uh, had this big finance company and, you know, they owned a bank and his father was, was uh, a minister of parliament and um, so on. And his, and until he died world war one, I, I mean, he died uh, yeah. from artillery shelling on the Western front. And so he's in the family in war. Cause he lost his brother in world war two. Yep. Lost his, his, I guess it was his girlfriend died during a yep. bombing raid. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah. So yep. Definitely right at the center of um of the yeah, absolutely. conflicts, you know, during yes. that time. So. But he but he he grew up he had a charmed life. I mean, his he, you know, went to boarding school. Uh from there, you know, he he got to go to a private school in Austria, and then he went to a private school in Geneva, you know, uh yeah. what we would call college, you know, university or something, came back and he studied for a foreign officer exam. Have you ever run into the British thing where private school is called public school? It's so confusing. Yeah, it, it's very, yeah. When, uh, when they say school. I went to a public school, they mean Eton. They mean a place that's a private school the yes. way we say it. And I'm like, why are you calling that a public school? That's <laughs> right. not public. Well, but then know. they have a, they have a whole system of, of you know, what do you, what you test into. 
publicly right. for the public, what yeah. we would consider public. What we would call public. You know, right. so you go to either a vocational school or an academic school. Like all the Beatles went to a vocational school, you know, yep. which could be, an, they call them an art school, but an art school might have welding. It was really weird. I don't get it. But in any hey, case, you can, make, um, you can make sculptures out of uh, Alexander Calder did a lot of welding, right? Yeah, you're right. Anyway, he went to the private version of the public version. So Eaton was one of the places that he went as, as an example. But uh, so he comes from this kind of landed uh, class of, of, of and, and like old school money British, right? So the, the right. family would intervene on his behalf and get him positions, these high paying positions as a journalist. And then as World War II started, apparently the, I don't know, the commandant of the Navy, somehow he became the personal secretary to that guy. And uh, and then became, you know, I think a commander and a lieutenant commander in, in the in the na in you know Her Majesty's Navy Navy and um, or His Majesty's Navy at the time, I guess. At the and, time, um, yeah. In fact, and, in uh, fact, that come that comes up in the book because there's there's a, a picture of George the Sixth on the wall. Yes, I, yes. I was like, well, that, didn't Queen Elizabeth take over in fifty three? <laughs> I don't understand. It seems I don't know. It doesn't quite make sense, does it? But um, maybe he was just stuck in the past. Couldn't 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 bow to a woman, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah. So, but I mean, and then in in the war, and then in World War II, that's where he found that he was a really good administrator. He just had a knack for it, for planning and for the tactical type of stuff, or strategic type type of stuff rather. He was in charge of all these different commando groups through World War II, all these different amazing plots and i mean and it really is the stuff of novels you know um, did you read about operation goldeneye goldeneye yeah which was yeah. one of them yeah um, that, was, that sounded pretty it was a plan to uh leave a rump british force in spain if franco ever officially allied with the germans and right. and and cut off contacts completely so they were going to hide out and try to hang on to gibraltar basically so we had a whole place Pre pretty important program i would think that's that's not that's not insignificant so well, when you command the entire, I mean, you command the entrance there to, to, so, yeah. So, I mean, he really distinguished himself as a, as a, uh, planner, you know, administrator during World War II, um, after World War II that he was decommissioned, which is a very kind of w weird way to put it, but he was decommissioned, uh, during World War II, he went to Jamaica and he, mm. now that he, that after the war, that's where he wanted to live. Um, oh, okay. So after the war, he sort of became, he was a journalist. Uh, so he would write for the Sun and for other papers, and he would spend three months of the year in Jamaica. While he was there, he started writing, and came out with his first book. I believe it was fifty. I want to say fifty-two. It was Casino yeah, Royale. That, I think so. Yeah. And he used obviously he drew on all of his experience. James Bond is a member of MI6. He worked with members of MI6, and a matter of fact, he was he's threatened to be relegated back down to MI5 if he doesn't do something. I don't know. Ooh, I think Emma's is always threatening that. So. Yeah, it's funny you, you couldn't do that you couldn't do that in the u.s that's definitely two entirely separate things like you could right. not be devoted <laughs> to the fbi if you screw up the cia well like, that's why that's why he's more of a detective in the in the books i mean that you know he's much more yeah. of an fbi agent that go, can go around the world than well, some Dr. type Trump of calls him a dumb policeman right or is exactly it, or is that in the film i don't i think that's in the film Sorry, i think, yeah, that's, I think that. that's in the film but yeah. he says it actually he says the line to uh to Honey Child writer that he's a he's a detective of sorts. Um, by the way, policeman of sorts. By the way, Honey <laughs> Child writer. writer, Honey Child uh, writer. Some of the names that he uses yes. are just—I mean, they're 
I guess they're tongue in cheek, but they are distractingly awful names. I mean, <laughs> honey. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense be- given her backstory, which, by the way, we didn't mention. She's sort of a Tarzan character almost. Yes, Although she yes, was she raised is. by she was raised by people, but she was raised essentially in the wilderness, like living yeah. <laughs> on, living on her own in a lot of ways. But well, and she's she's like you know uh, a friend to all plants and animals, yeah, type of thing. Yeah. So it's a very the backstory of Honey Child or. or Honey, let's just call her Honey. Like so, she grows up. She grows up kind of living in the wilds of Jamaica. Uh-huh. And knows everything about all the different creatures. And there's a guy mm-hmm. who assaults her when she's younger, breaks her nose, and gives her a big flaw, according to James Bond, that mm-hmm. he gets used to. And um, she gets him back by putting a spider. Or does Black that Widow. happen in the movie? No, no, it That's happens in the movie. In the, That's in the movie. No, no, it happens in the book too. No, it happens, okay, it in, happens the book. in both. All that right. is exactly yeah. That part's exactly the same. So I don't understand this. I feel like this is a dangling thread because when I read that, I was like, oh, so she's the one that put the centipede in his bed because that's what she does is she uses dangerous creatures. Never explained. We never learned where the centipede come from. The centipede thing, it gets turned into a spider in the film. And then it gets, but it gets explained. But my point is, who did it? Let's tell the, the three listeners that we have, let's tell them what's going on. So there's, at some point, when when uh, James Bond is investigating around the island, he feels a twitch. He goes to bed at night in his hotel, feels a twitch on his leg. After, and after banging out three or four cocktails. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Passing out. He feels this twitch on his leg, and this thing's crawling up his leg. He realizes it's like a five-inch uh, five centipede, rather, um, oh. crawls up his leg, and he's he's able to hold so still that it crawls off him, and then he kills it. You know, He smashes it with the shoe. But it's never explained who did it, right. how that happened. You know, he he asks Quarrel, which is Quarrel is his Jamaican. Or, I'm sorry, Cayman Island, by the way of Jamaica, right? Uh, Living in Jamaica, but is a Cayman co- Island con- yeah. Confederate. You know, right. co worker guy. You know, helper. Um, he asks him. You know, are are, are centipedes common? And uh, he says, you know, you know, only in the bush. They would never see them in the city, and they could kill somebody and blah blah blah. So. It's assumed that somehow Dr. No put that right, in his room. Right. And a centipede crawls up his leg. James Bond holds so still that the centipede crawls over him. James Bond right. jumps out of the bed and kills a centipede with his shoe. It took me maybe less than 100 words to explain what happened. That happened in the space of about 10 pages. Yeah, it goes book. on for a long time. No. It does. And that's sort of what he does. Because he then he gives you like the thought process of, of Bond. Oh my God! You know, soon it'll be up to my belly button, and then what? Yeah. Perhaps he'll perhaps <laughs> he'll make a home in my belly button. What if he does that? How would I, how would I ever get him out of my belly button? You know, it's just like he <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. You know, in oh, these yeah. in these in these parts, and that does get a bit tiresome after a bit. You know, I, I'm not wanting him to be Hemingway. Where he just cuts to the chase at every every sentence, right? But he, right. but he, but I think it's a very British thing to really draw stuff out. You know, I don't know. People complained about it. People were definitely like, "There's, there's uh, eighty thousand words in this book and eight thousand words of plot." Yes, <laughs> so, yeah. People did, which, I, which it, I didn't think. I thought the book cooked pretty good. I, I, I thought it had a good yeah. pace. There is a little bit of belaboring the centipede situation. Yes, yes. Sure. Among That's others, true. I mean, there, there were, there were quite a few. That was one example. I mean, there were other parts kind of throughout it um, where he, I like belabored. That's a good good term for it. He, he does. Honestly, there were a few too many confrontations with animals for my taste in a spy book. 
Mm. I'm not sure that that's the way I would. Again, that's a little bit more like Indiana Jones, right? The snakes and the spiders and all kinds of stuff like that. Whereas, you know, in a spy, it's kind of be kind of weird if Daniel Craig had to like box a fox or like at some <laughs> point. In one of them. I'm sorry, I made that rhyme. It sounded like a Doctor yeah. Seuss movie. I, I think that is know. a Doctor Seuss box the fox. That's It'd be very strange if a gibbon showed up and like had a wrestling match with Jason <laughs> to the middle of the same right, royality. Right. But um, okay. I detected some inspiration in this book that I thought I'd run by you and see what you think. Okay. So first of all, I didn't even think of this because frankly, I think Fu Manchu is kind of dead letter. Like nobody talks about Fu Manchu anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So the Fu Manchu was the basis. He definitely ripped off things from Fu Manchu books for the character of Dr. No. But what I noticed is I noticed it's Captain Nemo. And that may, mm. it, because Captain Nemo means Captain Nobody. And mm -hmm. Doctor No is the same thing, and mm -hmm. he's like a like a like a super villain, like super intelligent, independent villain who's trying to destroy world shipping, and has a really sweet aquarium in his place. And I just kind of I kind of thought that was in there, and then mm -hmm. um, and now I also I also thought the most dangerous game mm -hmm. that yes. was in there, the guy who owns this island and puts mm -hmm. you through an obstacle course and tries to kill you. I didn't see anybody mention that being an inspiration, but I. Hmm. it must have been right and that's that, well, that's an old story that goes back before this because there's an old movie about it so i think well let's I see think that's let's probably an inspiration wow 1924 yeah i was thinking it goes way back right okay. here's something i think people have probably pointed out about james bond before and it definitely applies in the book i noticed it right away mm -hmm. it's pretty dumb to use your name <laughs> yeah especially to have your name like prominently announce it to people and it's your real name like there's no mm -hmm. indication that james bond is a code name right he just goes around telling everybody his name that's that's not yeah. very first well, thing i, I would I, do as a spy is is yeah. not tell people my real name <laughs> he's a very confident spy i guess we could give him that okay you know? okay you know? oh confident. but he does he does when he when he gets to dr no's lair he does call himself like john bryce though so oh okay i didn't catch that yeah. all right my yeah, bad. so all right fair enough fair enough well once you're in the villain's lair you can't give your real name you don't want to you don't want to go back to london and find dr no sitting on your front porch like waiting right, for your right. machine gun because he, he's like oh you announced yourself as james bond and told me your address was london west nine you know like <laughs> right well i think i you know also in, in the book they were waiting for him somehow they knew that he was coming um right they took a picture of him at the airport um you know the the secretary at the uh at the british you know attache's place was was in on it you know i mean so they they i think they already and that that might you don't know i mean i'm just i'm reading into it and my thought process is he figures what you know whatever it, you know they already know so i might as well you know tell them yeah. although they they send him some poisoned and in the hotel he seems surprised like how did they find me <laughs> you know, somehow yeah. they found me. You know, I'm sure there are probably like I don't know six hotels. So it yeah, might well, take also, all of all of fifteen you got minutes off the to plane, out. You got yeah. off the plane. You said, "Hello, my name is Bond, James Bond. Mm -hmm. I'll be staying at the Ambassador yeah, Hotel." Yeah, exactly. Bond. Right. Right. So you know, yeah. I don't think it was but, that hard to track you down. Also, you know, <laughs> I, well, I guess probably not as true in those days. But I would think just some white dude getting off a plane would probably stand out in Jamaica. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I've actually never I don't been. Know. I've been to the as Dominican a, Republic. And as a British colony. I mean, you have well, to. That's uh, true. You know, uh, so the, the population was, was probably fairly small. 
but you you had a, a big contingent of British uh, military and government there, you know, because right. that was sort of they had been controlling that since the 17th century. So, like I said, I've never actually been there, but I think there mm -hmm. are still quite a few holdovers that stayed there after independence. Um, so I don't think it's yeah. That I'm sure it was strange, and I've wondered about this before. I, I've wondered if you're white and you're from Jamaica, do you have that Jamaican accent? And that's why when Honey Chuck, oh, I have to say, I listened to this as an audio book, by the okay. way. And the guy gives Honey Child Rider a Jamaican accent. And I was like, oh, because he mentions that she has a Jamaican accent in the text. That's, see, that's interesting. Guy, I was wondering about then that. Then every time she talks, she's like, oh, James, you got to take me over here. Let's do, <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is weird. Like, it's weird to picture a white girl talking like that. But if she was raised alone by a Jamaican nanny, of course yeah. she would talk like that. So, Blonde hair, blue eyed. White, yeah, but yeah. I also yeah. have always wondered, would there be people who talk like that? So is her name supposed to be... Honey child, is that yeah. her name? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Yes. So when you read it, it's Honey Child. I'm from New Mexico. The first thing I read was Honey Chili. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that makes no sense at all. Honey Chili, <laughs> Mister yeah, Fleming. What were you drinking when you wrote this? You know, uh, and uh, and and so I said, well, it can't be Honey Chili. So obviously, Honey Child. We all have to be sensitive. I don't want to say is it supposed to be Honey Child because that's I don't want I don't want to pronounce it like that every time because. No, I, I think it's supposed to be honey to be child. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just couldn't do it. It's definitely not honey chili, I can tell you that. In, in my professional but, opinion as a yeah. Ian Fleming scholar, it is not honey chili. She came from a landed family, right? A very wealthy family. Right. That that lost it all when she was a child, okay? And the parents died when she was a child, and the Jamaican nanny took her over. And I'm thinking, okay, did the Jamaican nanny name her? <laughs> why would I think why would no I think I think it's the Jamaican lady called her that and that she took that as her name so that wouldn't I don't know that doesn't make a lot of sense because it's not know. like if you have a like a, a familiar you call a child honey child you also have <laughs> an actual name for them I think you well. know that's one of those things that yeah. I, I gotta remember uh when I enter the great beyond if Ian Fleming is there I shall ask him what <laughs> well I don't get this this doesn't make sense to me and she was old enough when they died because she was only like five or six or something. She had a name. I don't have like a perfect memory of being a child, but when I was five, I knew what my name was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like right. you, you right. wouldn't have needed to start calling me Honey Child. Yeah. I'd just be like, oh yeah, my name's Honey Child. Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Whatever. Yeah. Like I said, the writing, I was like, huh? I guess there was a lot more latitude on making up words. Okay. Um, what? Like what? So one of the, the big climax parts of the book was that uh, James Bond has to battle a kraken, a giant squid, which yeah, I was I was not expecting at all. And he sticks a knife into the squid's um, one of the one of the squids. He calls it an arm, a tentacle. Okay, um, right. and he, he says it's very puddingy. I've never heard that word before. Puddingy, puddingy. Yeah. and like doughy. Okay, like a doughy face. I mean, that's or, fair. Okay. I get that puddingy. Puddingy. Pudding I mean, I guess what you do is just put a. A G Y after it becomes the an adjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So, yeah, exactly. so this is very boardy. Like somebody fair. has like that's like, a fair. Like, it's like a board. It's boardy. Mm -hmm. If something is stale, it's staley, staley. No, staley? no, no. It has to be noun plus y. Oh, okay. Oh, that's something that's stale. Be, um, that's, that's you already, know. Yeah. That's he already, was wearing yeah. something on his face that was very glasses-y, <laughs> but but wasn't glasses. You know. But I think it's glasses gee. 
pudding, pudding. No, it would definitely not be glasses ghee. Well, it should be pudding ghee, pudding e, pudding. Well, it definitely wouldn't be with pudding e. You're getting that. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the death of of Doctor No was the most anticlimactic yeah. death of a big villain bad guy I have ever read about. Um, and not to belabor the film book conclusion, but that's the same in the film. Doctor yeah, no, no goes out like a punk in both. Like it's really he does, but at least but he's at a least really, he's actually a really cool villain, especially if you put yourself in the mind of that long ago. Although so, I have so, to say, he's like Captain Nemo, or he's like the guy from Most Dangerous Game. It's not it's not an entirely new archetype. Of yeah, the sort of evil. No, not as genius. You know, it's yeah, definitely something that's been done before. But and you and you mentioned disabled. There is a thing about villains and disabilities that that's kind of alarmingly common, but. So that you know, most villains have some type of disability or something like that. I mean, do we want to talk uh, about all the problematic bits in in, in this? Because it's I well, actually... let's let, let, let's talk about that in a minute. I want to I want to okay. focus on his death for just a bit. Um, okay. 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 So ignoble in that he dies in a in a mountain of poo. Okay, bird right. poo, right? But he dies in a but mountain it, of poo. But it's appropriate. Uh, his, his empire was founded on it, poo. Was built built on poo, but. You would think that it would be a little bit more personal, like like James Bond would be there to stick his gun in the guy's gut and shoot him after this, you know, this 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 big fight or something like that. He right. would do something really cool because that's that's what would happen now. Daniel Craig would not bury a guy in poo to kill him. Well, to, the main villain he would kill. He would I would say he'll kill like the hired hands any day of the week. The minions. You'd kill him like that. Bury poo, him poo, you, can no use big poo, deal. you can use poo on a minion. Yes, absolutely. Use poo on a but, minion. but Daniel Craig would yeah. get close. He always gets close up to the villain, and he kills him in a very, you know, justified manner. He would get. He would find these big pneumatic pinchers, which you know would replicate the guy's hands, and he would cut them in half with them or something like that. I mean, he would. That's what would happen. I read that, and I was re I was so dismayed. And not only was I dismayed, but that's not the climax of the end. You know, in any good book, like the it comes the the villain dies sort of right right before the end of the of the movie. It's pretty close. The, it's just the, kind of a thing one on after it, right? I mean, well, no, he, he yeah. I mean, the the villain dies, and then a bunch of other stuff happens afterwards. So I, he has to escape, and yada yada yada. Um, well, have you ever read the Hobbit? Oh, sorry, not the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, the original. Of course, Lord of the yes, trilogy. of course. Like, there's the course. great big confrontation in Return of the King and the fight against Sauron. That's midway through Return of the King. There's like 150 pages after that. There's a <laughs> right. whole other. I feel like maybe British <laughs> well, back then. Didn't I, I know. Really I think. I think Tol of, well, I, we'll give Tolkien a pass. Tolkien. Tolkien was writing like Chaucer, and, and you know, and, and and so they. I mean, if you want to talk about belaboring the point, Tolkien oh, could talk God. about about a ring for oh or you know a chapter. When so I, I read the Fellowship of the Ring to Alex, and I got it like five pages in. I was like, "Hey, buddy, you want to skip all this like Hobbit <laughs> genealogy stuff?" Yeah, and like, right. He was like, "Yes, please." So yes, yeah, yeah. Forward. You know, one cool thing is he gets his gun. He gets his classic gun. Yeah. Yep. The Walter PPK. Um, that's right. And that's a good bit. That actually was apparently based on some guy he knew who was an armorer who was who was like James Bond would not carry this Beretta. I mean, this is 25 a, caliber. Yeah. A, is a Beretta really? A, I thought a Beretta was a nine millimeter. Well, I mean, all of them make different. 
calibers. So, I mean, you've got 25, oh, 32, okay. 38, you know, nine millimeter, blah, blah, I guess blah. Beretta, Beretta is a company that makes yes, weapons. Correct. Oh, That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. But the Beretta he's carrying in the first five books is apparently a, a 25 caliber. Yes. Which, you know, as a, if you want to, like a tiny little gun that you can hide easily on your person, that right. does make, right. that makes sense for a spy to some extent. You'd have almost like a Derringer type of thing would be almost, I mean, but better but than you nothing. Think, you think you have to be up on them. One of my favorite lines in the book is when he sends his after action report to uh, to M and he says, Smith and Wesson ineffective against flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then he says he, he regrets he regrets sending that because it'll make M mad, but oh well, you know. You know, M is like an antagonist in this book. M is so M, yeah, M is a weird character. I, I think throughout. M is an antagonist in the I think it's in the Pierce Brosnan movies. It's the Judy Dench version of M is definitely like yes. she hates Bond. Like there's a big thing between them. And they yes. they grow to have a better working relationship through the films. But otherwise, M was yeah. almost like a I don't know if he's a comic character in in Goldfinger, but he's not Bond's enemy. He's not This was written by a Brit with that sort of worldview. And a, as a cultural as a as a culture, they have a very, you know, stiff upper lip you know, br down to brass tacks type of approach to life. I mean, that's what they're supposed to have. Um, so uh, it's a very, it's terribly a very sorry, Bond, but you won't be carrying that gun anymore. You yeah, fool. Yeah, you know, yeah exactly. You know, it, it's a very, just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, you know, let's cut through, cut through everything. And this is how it is type of thing. You know, don't beat around the bush. And I think M kind of personifies the British uh, authority figure uh, for the book, you know? I think um, that's fair. I came across a, a concept I had never thought of before called the Fleming effect. Did you read mm, about that? Mm, no. So this is something that Kingsley Amos referred to. He said, I mean, I read one of his books actually. Yeah, actually, be really interesting to do for this show because Kingsley Amos did this drinker's guide. Interesting. That would be really fun to read for this show. But anyway, he was a big critic of of writing and he called the Fleming effect was all the real details and brand names and things that Fleming kind of throws at you mm -hmm. to create this sense of the real in right. the book, put you in the real world, just distract you from the fact that this is a ridiculous situation and a world. The world is yes. not real at all. And I almost think it's kind of similar to the concept of hyperrealism. I thought it's something I wanted to look into a little bit later because I, I always was interested in that idea of taking a real world setting. And it's like you're telling a ridiculous story. For instance, the example I always think of is 300, the, the film 300 yes. right. has all these ridiculous things happening. And it's almost like a, it's almost a mythic story. Everything that seems fantastical, the writers go to the trouble of couching it in something technically real. Technically, there's such a thing as giant squids, you know, yes. technically, yes. there's such a thing as, you know, the gun that James Bond is using. Mm -hmm. Technically, a white girl could be raised by a black nanny and be called a <laughs> child writer. It's, it's farcical but it's technically anyway so i thought that was kind of cool so the fleming effect is something that gets used as in literary criticism that i'd never heard of before and I, huh. i'm always trying i'm always trying to add to my arsenal of literary criticism terms yeah. because I'm, this is doing the show is like my half-butted master's degree in literature i sort of think of it so. <laughs> did you see the drawing that fleming commissioned of what he thought james bond looked like yes sucks yeah it does well, 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 it looks so, like Sherlock Holmes to me. He's all like yes. bony and skinny, and I don't know. I just... So again, we're we're talking about a guy who had experience with characters like this, you know, in real life, right? Yeah, I mean, he worked with OSS. He worked with with um, 
MI6. I mean, this is the stuff that he did for, geez, like six years during the war. Right. So he would have an idea. And so his he wanted even the name James Bond to be as boring as possible. Okay. Yeah. Because he wanted he actually wanted a guy who would walk into a room that nobody would pay attention to. That was James Bond to him. That would make a lot of sense for a spy. Exactly. And that that was his idea. And the book James Bond is different from the from the movie James Bond. He's not a superhero. In the book, he's a dude. He's just a guy that that you know, he uses very nice stuff. I mean, the guy is is a is a uh, well coiffed. Is that is that the term? Quaffed. I mean, coiffed. Uh, he's a, he's he knows these particular name brands. You know, he shops at the right stores, but he doesn't exude that that over the top masculinity that the movie does and everything else. He's just kind of a normal dude. What I always think of is when they made the movie Die Hard, and they put Bruce Willis in as the main character. And everybody mm -hmm. was like, what are you doing? This is an action movie. Everybody wants to see Sylvester Stallone. Everybody wants to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm the kind of guy I want to watch Bruce Willis. Right. Exactly. Bad guys because I, I, you know, I could almost be him. I, I, yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on. I don't look up to Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. He's right. ridiculous. He's yes. a ridiculous person. Like not, right. There's nobody's going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Bruce Willis on a good day. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe I mean, that, I could there, there's, Bruce there's, Willis. there's a point in that movie where McCain doesn't have shoes. And he has to run over that broken glass, right, and, right, and his yeah. feet are all cut up because of it. He gets, you know? he gets hurt. He's flawed. Yeah, he's got a bad exactly. relationship with his, right. with his wife. There's all kinds of yeah. stuff. I love yeah. that kind of character. is way more interesting to me. Well, that was the character of James Bond in the books, not in the movies, right? right. And I think it. I think it was. So. It was because Ian Fleming was writing from a place where he knew this background. Right? It wasn't fantasy to him. It was, and that that might be something to really think about. You know. You mentioned um, uh, who'd you mention uh, when we Tom Clancy? Okay, Tom yeah. Clancy was an insurance agent. He was, he sold insurance yeah. when he wrote yeah, yeah, Hunt yeah. for the Red October. Okay, right. now the guy was super technical. He did a hell. I mean, he did his research, and because he was so good, he got to partner with with all these different, you know, and they taught him spycraft and all this other stuff. But that's not where he came from. He came from an insurance agent. Yeah, you know, no, the only other guy. It's kind of funny uh, that I mentioned him because he's a response to Ian Fleming and James Bond. Uh, John Lecare. Oh, John Lecare. Yeah. No, I've never read any of well, his stuff. I've I would say Lecare Le Le because he's British. Lecare is his last name, but he, he yeah. is British and he, I think he might have worked for MI6. He was an intelligence analyst. Okay. My dad is a huge Lecare fan. He, he loves him. He reads all and so, I've never read one of his books and I totally should, but. So I, and, I, and I did, I wrote, read his book, seminal and, and premier book, which was, um, I say seminal because it was the biggest one, but it was a spy who came in from the cold. Oh, Fantastic okay. book. And he really criticized Ian Fleming because he said, you know, this actual, it's actually much more boring. It's nothing right. like Ian Fleming right. novels. Right. Right. And, and Ian Fleming, he never professed to do it exactly. He was, he knew it was a fantasy, but John Le, Le Carre or Le Carre. He's British. He's not French. Again, he he wanted to do one that was real to show you how boring it really was. So the spy that came in from the cold, it, it drags right sometimes, and the book's much thicker, and it's not as exciting, and it's not it's not these glamorous locales. It's Actually, Tom Clancy's book have an element. Books have an element of that. There's definitely the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. There's all this stuff. The Cardinal and the Kremlin, the mm -hmm. one about the guy who's who's aiding the the um. 
the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, one's yeah. just I couldn't get through that book. There's so much document shuffling and stuff, and that that's the reality. Like, right. I studied I studied international relations at GW in DC, and a lot of the people in my program were studying intelligence, and that's hundred percent what those guys what their lives were going to be like they were going to be analysts never going to be in the field nothing to do with any of that kind of stuff but on the other hand one of my buddies that i that i would that i was friends with at school he had a roommate who was a chinese national who was working somewhere in dc and he came home one day and his entire house had been ransacked by chinese agents they just taken his taken his laptop and like torn it apart and torn apart his room because they thought it was his the other guy's room Oh, so I those see. kind of things, those kind of hands-on, uh, it does, kinetic, yeah, it, it, kinetic it happens, kind of intelligence yeah. stuff. That's that's real. That does yeah. happen, but it's um, it's just it's almost like two different people, because right. I imagine the guy that they sent, the Chinese guy they sent to rough up his room, was just some thug. He didn't know anything right. about espionage, right. or, you know. He just that's why he went in the wrong room for God's sake. But see, went, the, thing, the thing about it is, you know, you're not going to make, you're not going to sell books based on an intelligence analyst. Although no, I know good. Jack Ryan, but that's so, what Jack Ryan tech, but Jack Ryan but, is also a Marine and you know, he's but a tough yeah, guy. He, he does, yeah. he does all this stuff, right. It has these adventures. You can't, somebody sitting in an office, you know, looking at, at data, which is what right. they do, you know, from right. somewhere, they're not going to make a movie about that. So one thing they told us when we took the basic intelligence courses is mm-hmm. the bad news for a guy like me is the last absolute last person in the world to be field personnel mm-hmm. is a white dude. Yeah. That's not the yeah. world today. We do not, yeah. our enemies don't look like that. And we do not yeah. send white guys into the field. Not anymore. We yeah, use not women. Anymore. We use, we use brown people. We, that, that's, that's who you're trying to blend in with. So right. it's, right. I'm not going to be James Bond. It's not going to happen. Who am I going to spy on France? Like, it's just not, <laughs> you know, it's just not, not the way it works. So. <laughs> right. spy well, I don't know. Ukraine's there. Russia's there. Yeah. Russia. Well, nowadays, actually, I kind of wish that I'd been in that field you know, now rather than 12 years ago when it was all sure. Afghanistan and Iraq, because I could have done the Russia thing. But anyway, yeah, so of course, well, I, we're at that point. So we're at that point. OK, so we're going to spare um, that. We're going to spare. I think the way I, that I want to do it. And if you agree I, with me, is we'll talk about the problematic aspects. when We talk about whether it's a classic. Let's talk about okay. the surprises. Sure. So you had read a James Bond book before. I had. So, um, I mean, everything about the way this book was written was a surprise to me. And so that's sort mm-hmm. of a, I was surprised that it took place on location in Jamaica. I thought that was pretty cool. I felt like I got a sense of Jamaica to some extent, mm-hmm. even though, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that was pretty neat. I was really surprised by all the talk about the Audubon Society and the Roseate Spoon Bells. Right. Like that was really <laughs> weird. But my biggest surprise was that he fights a freaking giant squid at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah that's even that's having so, been forewarned so about all the natural villains that he comes up against it's very surprising <laughs> yeah. to me that mo- probably yeah. the classic moment is a hand-to-hand combat with a giant squid <laughs> well you know it, it happens sometimes i guess so i don't know the, the funny thing is is when this book was written so when i was a huh? kid this would have been in about 1982 the smithsonian mm-hmm. got a hold of the first ever specimen of a giant squid Mm-hmm. And they brought it back and it was at the Smithsonian when I was a kid and we went down and saw it and were lines down the block to see the world's first giant squid that had ever been captured. It mm-hmm. was like a myth until then, the giant yeah. squid. Like nobody had right. ever seen one. At the time of this book was written, this is like, you might as well be a kraken, right? Yeah. It's like an imaginary monster. So James Bond is fighting. It would be like if James Bond had a fist fight with Bigfoot at the end of the yes. book. Yeah. It's a you, I, think he, but, I would love to see that someday, by the way. I, 
You oh, know, I wouldn't great. be surprised if that happened. It's <laughs> one, of the, one of the Roger Moores. I could see Roger Moore. I almost have a little bit of a Mandela effect where I feel like he did fight a Bigfoot in one of the movies. He might but... have. Well, no, <laughs> there's that there's that guy named Jaws, that huge yeah. dude yeah, 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 with yeah, the yeah. metal jaws. Yep. I think he fought. And the guy like bit his gun in half or something stupid like that. I don't know. A couple things. So Ian Fleming's older brother, Peter, was a travel writer. Okay. Interesting. So that, that sort of makes sense. And actually, Checks. he would not have been published. Casino Royale would not have been published had it not been for Peter. Because apparently Peter Fleming, as a travel writer, was huge. Like he was really popular, sold a ton of books. When Ian sent his book to whatever publisher he finally sent it to in the UK, uh, they're like, eh, I don't know about this. And then Peter said, hey, you, you should publish my brother's stuff. And they're like, okay, fine. Because of you, we'll publish it. And then it turned that's into, my, into a That's success. my problem. That's my problem. I need a brother you, yeah. who's in the you industry. Need, you I got to convince my brother to Dude, write some nepotism, nepotism works. Nepotism. Man. Just, just yeah. ask the Bidens. You know? My biggest surprise was the gin and tonic. That was that, – I, I, Yeah, that well, was a little shocking. I, when I read uh, Mewling Live Twice, I don't think I even was on the lookout for that. But I've been – I think that was before I really got into – you know, booze writing and stuff like that, which is, you know, sort of my second job. Uh, by the way, I have a new book out called uh, Ted Mack and America's First Black Brewery, Rise of All People's Brewery. You guys should all buy it. Available wherever. Uh, fine uh, books are sold, yeah. I, yeah, um, I was going to be mean about it, but no, no. It, we're fine, we're fine it, books are sold. We're fine books are sold. Yeah, now. thank you. Um, <laughs> gutter books are sold. I never even noticed it. Maybe it was in the, that one. I know they talked about Saki in that one because that, you know, it was sort of set. I remember you, we talked about Saki maybe in the Godzilla episode. We talked about Yeah, I think so. Episode. But that was the movie. You know, I I, I don't even remember the book, but um, yeah, okay. I will say there there is a, so Ian Fleming wrote, and Ian Fleming, I, I think as a as a writer, well, this is for you to say, but uh, he, he wrote a nonfiction book called uh, Thrilling Cities, something like that, or The Most Dangerous. I think I read it, it was The Most Dangerous Cities. Maybe that was made for America, but it was set in like 1961, 62, maybe late 50s. He was a journalist for maybe The Sun, whatever, some UK paper, maybe Daily Mail or something like that. And they sent him around the world and he went to all of these essentially bars at these great cities at that time. So it was like Las Vegas, Morocco, Cuba, you know, before it fell. So it must have been the 50s, I guess. This Um, is the brother. No, this is Ian. Ian oh, Fleming. Oh, really? Okay. And All so right. he went to the bars. He went to these bars at these. At the time, he went to like uh, West Berlin. You know, he went to all over the world to these That's to a, a pretty bar. Good basically, it's a pretty yeah, good gig right? if you can get it right. Like and, somebody uh, should and put, do like a web, like a YouTube channel called Bucket List Bars. It's just about great. Wouldn't that ama- be amazing? Yeah, just about the world. Great yeah. bars. Yeah. In any case, uh, that's a cool book. If you if you ever have a chance to read it, I, I definitely recommend it. All right, so that's a surprise. So now we're we're down to the decision time. Um, I'm going to lobby real quick. Okay. Um, now let's I, make sure that we're talking about the right thing. Okay. We have to discuss whether Doctor No by Ian Fleming, this instance yes. of the novel, is a classic. Right. Then we have right. to talk about. Probably we were going to expand it to are the Ian Fleming James Bond books classics. It's a um, nuance. There's a nuance there, but I think yes, there is. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna going to admit a little bit of ignorance. You know, I haven't read a lot of Pulp Fiction in the 1950s. I don't know exactly what the competitors are. Like, I don't know if, if all of them read like this. You know, the writing is a bit clumsy. I admit that uh, at times. 
right? Sometimes, sometimes it's brilliant. I mean, he 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 can sum up certain things very well and he, and, and make them very suspenseful. But sometimes it's like honey child, honey chili. What? Well, that's um, just, yeah. Yeah. So there's, so sometimes there's writing, sometimes there's there's the crafting of prose, and then there's yes. just choices. Yes. And right. Honey exactly. child writer is a bad choice. Yes. Yes. I that, know. I agree. That lived that lived in a successful novel and then exists in the film. She's still called Honey Child Writer. No, they no, she's just called that. No, 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 no. They, they just call her Honey. They they cut it down to oh, Honey. Okay. Writer. All right. Okay. All right. All right. But 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 all right. But uh, well, but again, they so change. they did change the stupid <laughs> decision. Yeah. Right. So there there's clumsy writing, but then there's also legacy. And and but the the problem with it is I I don't really know how to compare it. Personally, I would contend that it's a classic because because of a lot of reasons. I mean, Ian Fleming's background. That gave him kind of an inside knowledge on a lot of this stuff. Um, also, the personification of uh, James Bond in the novel versus, or in a novel, any of them really, versus in the movies. I I I, I prefer that, and we see them return to that right in, in in the in the most recent movies. He's a, he's a better Bond in the book. Yeah, he's he he's, really is because he's he's. But he's you have more... the problem. You have the problem in the film. Well, first of all, your films are supposed to dazzle and entice, yeah. and like you yeah. know, like I said, create a paragon of masculinity for people to. It's escapist. You're trying to be, you know, and it you've is, got, but and you've but, got but Sean you... Connery at the height of his powers, and I'm sorry, but he's just a movie star. Everybody yeah. wants to watch him. Nobody yeah. wants to see him screw up, and yes. you know the way he is. He's just he's like watching Frank Sinatra walk yeah. around and just grab dames by the waist and tell them what they're going to do. And he's a force of nature and it, they shouldn't have screwed with it. It's perfect. It, yeah. it looks great in the film. I prefer the character in the book. Yeah. So it's, it's different. Yeah, no, I, I, and, and that's, and that's sort of where I'm going with this. Like if we're going to judge the book, I think he made a character that was, was infinitely shapeable maybe, or understandable character. I mean, the, the character of James Bond in the book is an everyman. You know, he really is. Originally, they wanted Cary Grant to play him, which right. Cary Grant was the epitome of the everyman. This is getting a little late in Cary Grant's career in, in 62. It would have been, but, but like North by North, was it? North, I don't know if you listened to the show that we did on To Catch a Thief, but that's also sort of latter-day right, To Catch Cary a Thief, Grant. yeah. You know, Cary Grant 10 years before that would have been a pretty sweet yeah. choice for James Bond, yeah, actually. it would have been, although... 31 year old Sean Connery is better than Cary Grant. I, I agree. But, but what I'm saying is that they, they weren't going for a, I mean, although Cary Grant was. Cary Hollywood Grant would be more like your Roger Moore. He'd be more like your yes. Roger Moore. Yeah. Well, he'd, he'd be, he'd be a know, different bond. He exudes a bit, a bit more of an everyman because he's not built up. I mean, like Sean Connery. Well, we can talk about that later. I, yeah. I, yeah I, that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole. Yeah. 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 So um, I would say, so we got a couple of different things to deal with here. Yeah, First of all, yeah. I kind of want to cast aside. I'm just going to rate this on the James Bond novel series, all of them, yes. without having read anything but this one. So okay. that's what I'm discussing here. All right. Because I can't say. I don't know whether Dr. No is the best of the books or whether it's a particularly okay. good. No, that's but fair. That's fair. In the, pro, in the pro column, it's a good read. Today, mm -hmm. it's a good read. It's got a good pace. It's fun to read. It's an interesting character. I could see why somebody decided to make a movie of this. It's corny. But it's like an Edgar Rice Burroughs character or, you know, something like that. You know, I mean, it's 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 kind of silly, but it's fun. It's a fun read. So I like that. I really do think in terms of talking about whether it's a classic, we have to deal with the questions of race and colonialism and misogyny and the misogyny. Mm -hmm. I think we, you know, 
that sucks, but I think we can kind of cast that aside because that's kind of what you're going to James Bond for. You're kind of going, it's a, it's a male space. A mm-hmm. James Bond film is a male space. If you don't want to be a boy for two hours, don't watch James Bond. Fine. Mm-hmm. I respect that decision. I get why somebody would make that decision. But mm-hmm. James Bond is a place to go and be a boy. You're, you're mm-hmm. talking about guns and hooking up with girls and having adventures and mm-hmm. let's just let's just embrace that race is creepy in this book there's a lot there the, the word chigros gets used a mm-hmm. bunch of times mm-hmm. meaning it's a portmanteau for chinese negro and it's mm-hmm. it's it's weird were i to recommend this book to somebody who wasn't white i would have to caveat the f out of this book by saying okay we're talking about this there's a character who talks about Jamaica and it's the local British attache or or the diplomat, some kind of diplomat of some sort. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly who. Somebody who worked for the governor, governor of Jamaica, and he is just going off on the Jamaicans and how oh they have all these resources, but they're just too darn lazy to 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 use them. And both right. that's a colonialist vibe that sucks. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um again, you'd want to if I gave this book to my to my 20-year-old, sorry, mm-hmm. 23-year-old daughter. I would have to caveat again the F out of this book before I gave it to sure. her. Sure. No. Also, I'd... she's a girl, and I just don't think I don't think a modern woman would want to read this book. Mm-hmm. But if I gave it to my son, because he's a boy and he likes boy stuff, and he might like James Bond, if I gave this book to him, he'd be like, just just skim over the parts about race and skim over the parts about the colonialism, which is actually kind of an interesting window into the past in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was curious about whether that governor guy, the diplomat who's talking that way, that's a character in the book. I'm assuming that reflects Ian Fleming's beliefs, but that may not be fair. That may be a character that may be describing how British colonial officials in the empire talked about native people, which would be accurate. I don't know if the book is sophisticated enough to be dealt with on that level, but again, we'd want to talk about it. In terms of whether it's the classic, I did like this book. I, I would read another James Bond book. And it created these books created James Bond, who's obviously an icon. Mm-hmm. It's really tough. It's really tough because you kind of want to. Is it a classic book? Is it? A, is it? It's, it's a really tricky question. Remind me again what we mean when we say classic. Maybe, <laughs> no, maybe, I was, maybe, I was just, I was just thinking. We've, we, we've never, decision. we've never really defined that. Uh, we should we have, have talked. We should, we've talked about it many yes, times. We have. We should have, you know, we should have a discussion and pin it to the very top of our it is episode. A, it list is a nebulous. What what is a classic? Right. right? It is a nebulous yeah. definition that we've never landed on, and maybe we should leave it that way to keep screwing yeah. with people. Give me some thoughts about what you think a classic is, and I'll 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 come down. Um, okay, so I think a, a classic is something that there are derivatives of. That, no question. No question about that. Right. That that has somehow influenced culture. That has somehow kind of or influenced like a whole movement of whatever the genre might be. I mean, in terms of music, separate from derivative, you know, it, it has now entered a zeitgeist of sorts. What has this done for like the imagination of of just general public? Derivatives are different because it's like other authors have been influenced and created. Like I said, John Lecare or John Le Carre. Uh, had, had created. You know, I, I've character. always heard it pronounced Lacare. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, his characters in uh, Tinker Taker uh, was it Tinker Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy Soldier Spy. Yeah, and the spy who came in from the cold are supposed to be anti James Bond. But the fact that he made that anti James Bonds 
right. says that it's a derivative of it. So and clearly again, the figure the figure of James Bond hangs over any spy book. Yes, yes. Clearly, and, and, clearly. and so I guess I guess maybe that might be something that we could think about is if we're gonna have a classic, how much influence did it have at the time and then afterwards? And maybe its influence is is a thing. And 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 what we have to do maybe is compare it because so you're comparing it to 2023 right right um and which is which is always unfair and i you know it's like it's, it's always like, unfair oh, right yeah you know, i try to be, i try to be i try to be cool about that i mean i don't want to yeah. it doesn't make sense you know it's a it's a very different time right right and so and so it it's it's holding people to a standard that right. they didn't have it no time. you shouldn't do that you yeah. shouldn't do that um you should com- and, but you should compare it to its contemporaries but I will say that I will say that it's his writing is tough sometimes to look at because it's you and I are are we're, we have so much education that we can call ourselves learned. When you can call when you can say learned is a two syllable word. Yeah, I was going to say if it's got two syllables, you're pretty smart. Yes, yes, right. So we're we're we are fairly learned people. God, his writing is tough to take, and he was a learned person as well. Um, well, but maybe but, actually, but, but, actually, this this brings up a point that I didn't uh, that I meant to make and I didn't. He was hmm. a learned person, but he does yes. refer to a shark as a reptile. <laughs> I saw that. That what? is really <laughs> dumb. You know, I can't justify that. I don't I understand. Try that, to justify but anyway, it. I don't know. It's not, maybe, it's not a thing a learned man says. A learned <laughs> man does not refer to a shark as a reptile. Anyway, so, so they, they talked about they talked about a kraken. And then afterwards, the Jamaicans call it a, a puss as an octopus, and it wasn't. It's a squid. No, squids and octopi are different. Octopuses are definitely okay. different. Okay, so, so so I'm going to leave it to you. I, I'm going to stop with my uh, ah, with my tough. lobbying. It's really tough. You know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you've ever read these, but the Conan the Barbarian books by Robert yeah. E. Howard. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have not, and that would be a good one for us to do in the future. Those are really fun. Those are fun to read, and they are mm-hmm. super super backward, mm-hmm. super backward. It's like H.P. Lovecraft. They're yeah. very backward, although yeah, Robert E. Howard's a lot like this. And I think the thing we need to remember is that a James Bond book is not like a Tom Clancy book. A Tom mm-hmm. Clancy book is a book that's written for a pretty sophisticated audience, mm-hmm. probably, a, probably a boomer who's been to college, who's you know following the news and keeping track of a lot of things. I think that a James Bond book is more like Conan the Barbarian. I think it's like a comic book in prose form that's absolutely so, right yeah I would, so I would you kind of it's like we judged the fantastic we didn't judge fantastic four by the fact that it wasn't operating on five levels of you know semiotics it's, right right it's, it's a comic book right it's supposed mm-hmm. to appeal to children right so in the sense of a pulp spy thriller it's a pretty mm-hmm. effective book it's pretty fun so yeah, I want I want to put it out there I, I don't know how the, how the whole series is I, I'm judging on the series and I haven't read the whole series I think that I think that the, I I think this is a classic. I think that the James yeah, Bond right. novels are classics. Nice. I think All the right. James Bond novels are classics. I really do want to make the caveat about the racial stuff and just I sure. I hope somebody who picks up a book from a British guy in 1958 is smart enough to realize it's going to be racist. Right. You know, I apologize for that on his behalf, and he was probably kind of a jerk about that sort of thing. But um, if you can get past that, I think this is a classic. It's a fun book to read, and it led to James Bond. And the James Bond character has adapted with the times in a way that uh, I think 
kind of shows you mentally what you should be doing with reading early James Bond is that, you know, adjusted for the times to try to figure out what you're dealing with. You know, and it, right. it's, it's not cool. It's, it, it's, it's, it's bad in some places, but um, mm-hmm. I, I think overall, I think the James Bond books are, are classics. All right. Well, there we go. It's fantastic. So my name is Dave MacArthur sure. and I'm going to wish everybody a, uh, a fun farewell for this week. My name is Clint Lanier and uh, I will do the same. Uh, we're going to sign off, but we will be back in two weeks with our movie choice, which is. It's going to be something very similar. It is Dr. No. And we're right. breaking so, the rules, by the way, because as you could probably guess, I did not <laughs> completely coincidentally choose Dr. No, the film when when Clint chose Dr. No, the book. So it's going to be two right. Clint's, two Clint's in a row. Yeah, so, I thought it'd be fun. I thought it'd be fun to actually do because we've never done that. We've 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 no. always done on the book and then we've always you know done something unrelated but this one you know i thought why not let's do doctor know the, the book um and then doctor know the movie and uh we are going to compare and contrast a lot more uh in the next one and but we'll also talk about james bond as a kind of cinema franchise which is very so different so. it's a very different thing and and in order to to go along with that same theme my next two choices are uh-huh. going to be bridget jones's diary the uh-huh. book and then Bridget Jones's Diary, the film. We're going to be doing those back to back. So I hope everybody's going to stick okay. around. And uh, just in case you're actually considering not following our podcast, I'm not actually doing that. I want to let everybody know. So, all right, <laughs> that's wonderful. Peace all out. Right, we'll see. We'll see you. Uh, see you next time. That's it for episode 81 of Toasting the Classics. I want to apologize for the long delay in releasing this episode. Summer is insane, and I think we've earned a tiny break. I promise we are back on the regular schedule now. For those playing along at home, I think you can guess what we'll be drinking when we discuss the film version of Dr. No. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and any invitations to visit your secret lair on a private murder island. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.